We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed hello sunshine i'm alexi lawless and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This show will be talking Pulisic, Wright, Sargent, Ancelotti, the Reynas, Beach Stadiums, Arsenal's decline, Liverpool's ascent, Wolverines, Atlanta, Scorsese, and so much more. First joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant, and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this Tuesday, January 2nd in the year 2024? Happy New Year, my friend. How you doing? I'm doing well, and I'm still here. I know you sent out a tweet this morning that some interpreted it as me no longer being on this podcast. <laughs> well, I was just trying to celebrate in uh, social media form uh, that we are starting our seventh year of the State of the Union, and to thank everybody, including you, my friend, my colleague, as I say, my my guiding light for uh, you know being part of this crazy ride. It's the tent has gotten bigger over the years, and yeah, maybe I didn't word it correctly. So there were already some people that were worried <laughs> you were moving on. Rest assured, David Mossy will continue to thankfully be a part, and let's be honest, in many ways, the the best part of the State of the Union. So let's get right to it, my friend. How how are you feeling on, like I said, this January 2nd? Yesterday, your Wolverines came through. It was touch and go there for a little bit, but you are going to the championship game. You are, and now, I, I again, you take it for what it's worth, but social media has informed me and educated me that you are now the uh, the Rose Bowl champions, uh, even though you still have another game to play. So, th- while you're still going to play this final, this uh, you know this 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 national championship final in the playoffs, you still can celebrate uh, the the roses, as it were, when it comes to the uh, the Rose Bowl. But I guess it's not really the granddaddy of them all that it was made out to be all those years. Yeah, you were fascinated by this. You texted me while we were both down in Florida and you were out to dinner with your family. You asked me if Michigan won this game, would it count as a Rose Bowl victory? And I told you, officially, it does count as such. But I agree with you. I do think it's weird to attach the traditional meaning to it when it's now a semifinal game. I will say, though, I was there yesterday and the Rose Bowl still does it for me. Uh, Mm -hmm. I love that venue. I know it's considered passe now when we look ahead to these upcoming international soccer tournaments in the United States. It's a given that any game in LA would be at SoFi. 
Uh, but I'm sorry. There's a part of me that still wishes these games were played at the Rose Bowl. Obviously, Brazil won a World Cup there in 94. The U.S. women won a World Cup there in 99. I've gone to see Michigan play there a bunch of times. I still love that venue. Well, it should be said, um, for those that are, are not watching the show, I am actually here in Florida. We we flip-flop, basically. Uh, you came back to Los Angeles. I went from Los Angeles. I'm in Florida. You are back in Los Angeles. And to your point, we were watching it here, myself, uh, my wife, who, as, as we know, is a big Ohio State fan, so she was kind of hate-watching and everything. But still, there came a point where she turned to me and said, that is still one of the most beautiful stadiums. And this was coming across on television. I can imagine, because it just seemed like this perfect subject. Southern California day there and the sun setting and that, you know, it is a, it is a, you know, an ancient type of feel, but there is romance. Uh, and obviously there is incredible history when it comes to what that stadium is. And, and, not, and to your point, it's, it's not going to be used going forward, but still last night. And I guess the game too, how awesome the game was. It just made it a, a wonderful Rose Bowl night that so many people, like I said, are very romantic about, but going forward, there's going to be less and less than that. How, how was it in the stadium for you? It was incredible. I know when you're a fan of one of the two teams, you may it maybe blinds you to. I'm not sure that was a great game. It was pretty sloppy. Both teams made some uncharacteristic mistakes. Michigan had a catastrophic day on special teams, which almost cost us. Uh, but it was certainly dramatic. And being there was one of the great live sporting events I've ever attended in my life. And yeah, when we made that last stop, uh, I mean, the stadium just erupted. I was sitting near where the Michigan section was. So it was a great moment for sure. Oh, it's so good. I have so many stories of the Rose Bowl and obviously having played there, you know, even before the, the 94 World Cup and then the 94 World Cup and what it was and being there for the 99 Women's World Cup. I mean, even being in that locker room when the late, great Ziggy Schmidt sent us all back home and canceled practice on the uh, the morning of of, uh, uh, of September 11th, you know, way back in the day. And it just goes on and on all of these incredible memories. And these are soccer memories, but to your to your point, the, you know, the, the, the football memories and all that kind of stuff. So Mossy, as I mentioned, I'm here in, uh, in Florida, you know, and doing Florida things, going down to the beach, you know, in the, in the social media world, I've, I've given up trying to figure out how to strategically put a post out that is going to, you know, get attention and clicks. I, I never know. And it is sometimes, you know, your best laid plans are, are out the window with this caveat. Each and every year, when I when I post uh, the picture of my sand stadiums, shall we call it, invariably it is uh, it, it is it is met with almost universal um, positive reaction. And for those that follow me, know that that in and of itself is something special. So I, this was probably my biggest stadium that I have done. And for those that aren't watching, it is a stadium made right there on the beach, out of Whatever is available naturally, it's au natural. So I got coconuts and shells and seaweed and all this different stuff. And it is a labor of love. It's something that I've done now year after year. I think I've probably passed a decade of doing it. And I have done it at multiple places. But for the most part, they have happened here in Florida. And the most part, they happen around the uh, the New Year. So that was uh, that was fun. I even had a young, uh, a young kid uh, text me. Uh, uh, his version of what he has done. So I'm passing it on to that next generation of sand stadium folks, but you know, Jorge mass, get your, get, you know, get your act together here. Cause I'm well ahead of you in terms of building kick-ass stadiums in prime locations in South Florida uh, right now, by the way, all probably, pro 
uh, privately funded going forward. So those are uh, those are fun. The other thing that uh, that I saw Mossy and I just saw this this morning over there on uh, social media. I don't know if you uh, you saw this, but there was a uh, a guy who put this Funko Pop thing together of me, and it's kind of like a a bobblehead type of thing uh, over there on uh, on X. I guess it would be Pops Sports, and it actually has me in a suit. And uh, it's pretty, pretty funny, actually. So I appreciate the fact that there are people out there that are doing creative things when it comes to this show. As I mentioned, into our seventh year here, and we have more and more people coming to the, uh, the State of the Union. My friend, have you been watching anything? Because we've had a little, a little downtime. We're going to talk plenty of the soccer, but have you been watching anything else out there with your downtime? I have. And, you know, if we hearken back to one of the last shows we taped last year, we did a best of 2023. And one of the categories was best thing we've seen. Uh, I said uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. You said Oppenheimer. And then you made sort of a passing comment. It wasn't some big take. It was just kind of an offhand remark. But you said that this hasn't been a great movie year. And your evidence of that is that Barbie is making top 10 lists, which was a movie you didn't care for at all. So couldn't have been that great a year if that movie is being held up as one of the best. I have to say, I'm going to push back on that. Uh, I've okay. seen two more movies since... We last spoke. One of them, American Fiction. The other, Anatomy of a Fall. Uh, both were terrific. Anatomy of a Fall might have overtaken Killers of the Flower Moon and Oppenheimer as my favorite movie of 2023. Uh, I also love The Maestro. I love The Holdover. So uh, I'm actually building up a nice list here of movies I've seen from this year that I genuinely liked. So I don't know. I think it might end up being considered a strong year. I did see Maestro and I did enjoy it. No, so I finally over this break saw uh, the, the killers of the uh, of the Flower Moon, and you know I I went in and sometimes after you you know you've heard so much about it and to your point it was you know definitely in the top ten and for some people it was the best movie of the year. I know how much you liked it. There's a lot of people actually that read the book that I that I come across, and a lot of times when you read the book before the movie, it's it, usually it pales in comparison, but uh, I did not read the book, so I did not know know this story. Um, I did not find it as compelling as many out there. Um, I thought that the, I don't know if you saw, if you, if you experienced this, Mossy, but in watching it, the, the time lapse and the time jumping, I thought it didn't work. Uh, it was shot beautifully, as you can expect from Scorsese and, and that kind of stuff. It was acted impeccably whether it was uh de niro or um uh what's his name uh who's uh who's dicaprio the dicaprio exactly leo dicaprio both great i think you know the whole cast was was wonderful i just didn't the story was billed as a crime drama and yet there was no real who done it <laughs> from the it was and so i kept waiting for the other shoe to fall and something different to happen and it never did the um you know the um the the uh, the leading lady of the of the movie I, I i didn't think that she was supposed to be and she was portrayed as this incredibly smart woman and if she is so smart, why does she keep going along with all this? She seems to see everything that's going on and yet continues to continue to do what she's what she's uh, what she wants to do. Leo Di uh, DiCaprio's character came back from the war and all of a sudden he is a, um, you know, a, a thief and a holdup artist. And wh where did that even come from? So there's a lot of missing stuff when it came to the. Uh, um, you know, came to the movie. It's still, like I said, I think it's worth your time. It's another three hour long, long movie, but. It didn't live up to uh, to billing. 
So Oppenheimer is still your favorite movie of yes. 2023, and you're still holding to the opinion that this has not been a particularly strong movie year. I don't, but I think I think that's also relative, Mossy, to this this era that we live in now, where you know it's not all focused on movie theaters now, and so with the streaming and the way that movies are put out right now, either you think less of a movie because it's not in this great you know historic way of promoting a movie or marketing a movie, or I guess even worse, you don't even know it's there and you don't even know that it, that it came. And, you know, so I think it's just, it's so much harder nowadays to cut through all of, you know, the, the crowded landscape that is out there when it comes to not just movies, but a lot of different stuff that we do, um, you know, whether it's, whether it's podcast or musics or, or movies out there, it's just a function of the world in which we live in right now. So maybe that's not fair to say that it was a down year, it's just if it doesn't across, come across my radar, and I know I, my radar is different than others, then that's how I am going to look at the year. And again, probably not uh, not fair. All right. Are you ready to light this candle, my friend? Let's do it. All right. Where should we start? There's a lot. And, and again, we are not going to go back and dissect every single game. It's impossible unless you're, you know, Sean Sullivan, great producer, Sean Sullivan, to watch every single game that happened over here. But we're going to, you know, take some uh, some different moments maybe, and some different results, but more importantly, big picture, what ultimately happened over this holiday season when it comes to on and off the field, right? Yeah, so let's go through all the top leagues in Europe and do a little reset of where we stand as we begin 2024. We'll begin in Italy, where it's shaping up to be an Inter-Juventus title race. Inter two points ahead of Juventus right now. AC Milan are in third. Americans, obviously a big story in Serie A so far this season. AC Milan in their final match of 2023, they beat Sassuolo 1-0. And Christian Pulisic scored the winner. He's got six goals and four assists in Serie A this season. This is shaping up to be his best campaign of his career. And we'll hopefully see if he can keep that going in 2024. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk a little bit more about Americans in general and what they are, or I guess what the perception is. But it's not just a perception. It's the reality right now that Christian Pulisic, well, first off, thank goodness, and let's knock on wood that it stays this way in 2024, he's healthy. And when he is healthy and he's in a place that obviously he is enjoying, thing, good things happen for that team. And so it's wonderful to see for him individually. It's wonderful for us from a, a U.S. perspective going forward. And, and then in a general sense, like I said, we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the pod. It's just a, a positive type of story right now. And he's not the only positive story. And, I, you know, we focus a lot on American players, but, you know, there's all sorts of, you know, stories and, uh, and stuff like now, even, uh, even as we were coming on air here. The um, the transfer of former MLSer Canadian uh, player Tejan Buchanan uh, over to Inter. So I mean, you know what what's happening and and the things that are happening when it comes to Syria. Who over the years, Masi, as you know, we've talked about you know the ups and downs of Syria and kind of losing the handle uh, of uh, the attention of the world and what Syria was and that golden goose that was maybe not killed is the right word, but certainly maimed and having them come back as a league, even though we talk about the individuals and the teams here, but great for Christian Pulisic, great for, uh, great for Milan. Uh, and I guess also great for Serie A and what it is in terms of wanting to make a mark when it comes to the American audience out there. Juve had a nice win in their last match of 2023. They beat Roma 1-0. Timmy Weah and Weston McKinney both started. Great to see Timmy Weah all the way back from his injury. Yep. Uh, you know, as we mentioned, 
you know, last year it was, it, it came at a horrible time and, you know, he's trying to make his mark. I, I will say though, Mossy, that, you know, in this, uh, in, in this, I guess, compare and contrast with Americans over in Syria, I think there's a good and compelling case to make that Weston, Weston McKinney from a Syria perspective is being, is more successful right now than Christian Pulisic. And, you know, I mean, I, th I think it's debatable, but I think it's a fun case to make. And for us, it's wonderful to be able to make that case right now with what is uh, what is happening. And you just add more fuel, fuel to the good fire when it comes to uh, Wea uh, coming back and being healthy right now. So, again, these are all wonderful, positive stories, and I'm here for them. And certainly let's hope that they stay healthy, whether it's Wea or anybody else going forward, because, you know, they've shown that just because they're American doesn't phase them in the least and certainly doesn't phase anybody else in terms of putting them out there. And they have the chops to be able to provide quality on a consistent basis as long as they stay healthy. The one thing I'll, I'll say about Weston McKinney is his father needs to calm down on social media. He was in the news again the last couple of days. Uh, there were some fans criticizing McKinney's performance in this match against Roma and his father felt the need to go in there and fight it out with those fans. And, you know, we've dealt with this with Pulisic's father as well. These dads, I know they love their sons. They want to stand up for them. But uh, that's just not the right move to be arguing with fans on social media. Yeah, I mean, this is something that's happened, you know, over the years. And, and obviously with social media, with everybody having a platform and a megaphone, um, you know, it, it's it's literally amplified. I... If it doesn't bother the player, like I would be mortified <laughs> if one of my parents did that. Now, my, neither of my parents have ever done that and certainly haven't done it in the current um, modern sense of, um, you know, the social media world in which we live in. I, I do have some sympathy and some em empathy for for parents that that want to defend their, I guess, their children, uh, even though many of them are, you know, women and men and certainly can defend themselves. Uh, but it, it's never a good look. It just never comes off the way you want it to come off. And, 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 and the, the ironic thing is that I do think that it comes from a good place in wanting to protect your children, um, even though they're adults right now. But what ends up happening is it actually makes it, it actually puts those children in an even worse position. And unless the, 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 the child, the kid is, you know, is going to tell their mom or dad, Hey, knock it off. Um, it's, it's probably going to continue because social media is not going anywhere. And it doesn't matter who you are in the world. You're going to, at some point encounter some criticism. I remember back in the day, my mom <laughs> used to, uh, used to send me, uh, you know, an, a, an email or she'd, or she'd call me and say, do you know that this person, and she would read off some ridiculous name. And this was back in like the big soccer, uh, blog type of day. So this is before social media or anything like that. And she would, she would like hell hath no fury, <laughs> like a, uh, you know, a mother of a, uh, of a player who has been scorned. And my mom, she, she kept a, a, uh, a sheet of people that I'm sure to this day, if she came across any of them, she would produce each and every negative thing that they ever said about me. And I love that about, um, about my mom, but I don't think she would ever have done anything public in the way that, uh, that this is happening. Uh, we go to England where Liverpool are atop the table, Aston Villa, three points back city and Arsenal, both five points back city have played one fewer game than the rest. 
Uh, Liverpool, big win yesterday, 4-2 over Newcastle. Uh, Mo Salah with two goals. Arsenal is the team that's fading. They dropped their last two matches of 2023, home to West Ham, away to Fulham. Are you buying Liverpool? You still think it's City? Are you out on Arsenal? Where do, you, where do things stand in this Premier League title race? Um, I'm, I am out and down on Arsenal because I think that there was so much energy expended last year and so much goodwill last year. And yet, I remember, Mossy, we talked about it. We said, all right, this is, is this going to be an anomaly? Is this an aberration or is this something where they can kick on? And it's almost not fair because they did so much and they just ran out of gas at the end of last year to expect them to do that again. And yet, because it's Arsenal, you do expect them to, hey, use this even in in that ultimate failure, not not failure as a as a as a um, as a season, but failure to pip Man City at the end. Use it to kick on, and so now you're seeing that not only are they they not doing that, but they are regressing. And in doing and in the moment when you have others that are going the opposite way, and we haven't yet you know talked about Aston Villa or anything like that. I mean, that's the story so far of the year. Liverpool being the, at the top of the uh, of the table, it shouldn't surprise anybody given the talent that they have and their strange ability to just kind of stay under the radar for so long and then just pop up here. And that they're doing it in a moment when, like we said, Arsenal has regressed. Man City, you could say, has re- regressed, but I still think that they have something in the tank here, unlike you know uh, an Arsenal, where they're going to they're going to have a say here when it comes to ultimately who uh, finishes off the off the bat. But from a Klopp and Liverpool perspective, and uh, Zach Kenworthy and uh, Heath Costigan and all of those Liverpool fans out there, they got to be sitting pretty uh, pretty comfortably right now with what is uh, with what is going on. And I think they can probably even get better. Yeah, the fact that City had a disappointing first half of the season by their standards, and they're still right there. If they win that game in hand, they'd be two points back. Makes me think it's still going to be City because with De Bruyne returning, I expect them to be significantly better in the second half of the season. I don't know if I can say that for Liverpool. I think Liverpool are playing about as well as they can so far. But I will say, I respect Liverpool more than Arsenal. If they get into an eyeball-to-eyeball title race with City, I don't think they'll flinch in the same way Arsenal did last season. So I think we're headed for a great Liverpool City title race. Arsenal will not be able to keep up with those two teams. I think they're going to be more in the top four battle with Villa and Tottenham. So you're saying Arsenal are, are paper tigers. I guess paper gunners is what you're saying. Yeah, from as far as title contenders, I would say so. Okay, so now for you then, it's Man City, Aston Villa, and Liverpool for the title. Or or, or I guess maybe Liverpool and Man City, right? Yeah, you, just Liverpool and City. No? no, I would so put don't, Villa in the top Aston Villa four. Can, you don't think Aston Villa can uh, maintain this? I do not, no. Uh, And then from an American perspective, the things to keep an eye on, uh, we'll see if Anthony Robinson can continue to play well. He started Fulham's 2-1 win over Arsenal. Uh, Chris Richards, is he going to continue to play in the midfield for Crystal Palace? And what are the implications with the U.S. national team? Tyler Adams, is he going to get back on the field with Bournemouth at any point in the second half of the season? And then Matt Turner has won his starting job back at Forest. But they're talking about signing a goalkeeper in January. So we'll have to keep an eye on that situation. So... What do you have an eye on as far as Americans in the Premier League the rest of the season? So the Matt Turner situation is is interesting because, you know, he did he win it back or just there was, <laughs> they needed to make a change and he was actually available and 
and, and they put him in because when he has gone back in, you know, even though he was, uh, you know, part of the win uh, a few days ago, his feet, which is strange because I remember talking and saying that Matt Turner gets a lot of crap for what he isn't when it comes to playing out of the back. And I thought that he had improved his footwork immensely over the years. Now, look, you know, he's never going to be a sweeper keeper in the grandest sense of the word, but I thought that he was much more reliable than what he has shown over the last few, uh, last few months and, you know, in, in important situations. So uh, it doesn't surprise me that they are still not set on a goalkeeper and that they are still looking to upgrade that position. And to be quite honest, despite my love for, for Matt Turner, if I'm in the same situation, you would absolutely look at it and say, this is not good enough for, uh, for what we got going here. So I'm looking at that. You know, the other thing is, and you mentioned uh, Jedi Robinson over there, and he continues to just have a great year and, and the consistency is what is wonderful. So much so that people are talking about, okay, what is that next level for him? Is there a next level for him? Or is or is that next level a bridge too far? Is he in the perfect place right here? And if and when somebody comes calling and puts him at another level where there's higher expectations um, for that for that position and therefore higher pressure for that position, I guess what's his ceiling is what I'm asking right now, Mossy. I wouldn't be mad if he stayed at Fulham, but uh, I do think he's a player that's capable of going up a level and playing for one of the top teams in England. I, I am very high on him. I, I identified him as the most improved U.S. player in 2023 in that segment we did in our last podcast of last year. Uh, yeah, he just keeps getting better and better. So uh, I could see him moving on to one of the big boys in England. All right, where should we go now? Let's uh, stay in England, but drop down a level. When you did Ooh, your okay. holiday wish list for the U.S. national team, you said you wanted another center forward to emerge because you're not sold on Balogun and Pepe. Josh Sargent back from injury and scored for Norwich against Southampton. Could Josh Sargent be that guy to emerge? Because he's scoring goals in the championship? <laughs> I mean, yeah, he could be that guy to, I guess, would be to reemerge. I mean, we've seen the reemergence of Pepe. So, you know, Josh Sargent, look, and, and I know I'm being a little flip here, but you know, Josh Sargent again, healthy, which is great. The more healthy Americans, the better off I feel. Uh, and therefore the more competition, especially when it comes to still fulfilling uh, or filling that position up top, which I just don't think is set. And Josh Sargent, you know, I, and again, it goes back to what I said, I don't know, last month or so we've seen so many of these players, that we have pushed along, maybe sometimes pushed even too fast and too far. And, and many of them, just from a pure physical perspective, are still developing. And certainly from a soccer perspective, are still developing. And Josh Sargent, who knows? Maybe this is a different version of Josh Sargent going forward that is that understands much more about what he needs to do in order to do the job well. Again, he's doing it in the championship, which shouldn't preclude him or anybody from starring at the international level, uh, whether it's for the U.S. or anybody else, uh, any else out there. But again, you know, form can be fallacy. And so I, I, I've seen Josh Sargent before. And if this is a new version of Josh Sargent, I'm willing to give him another, uh, another chance going forward, but he's a goal scorer. So Scoring goals is a good thing, in my expert opinion. Incidentally, Haji Wright scoring goals for Coventry in the championship. Is he a player that you could see working in 
yourself back into the mix. Remember Haji, right? Boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, I don't see him. And, and, and it's, it, it's not because Greg Berhalter and his staff you know, don't value somebody that's scoring goals. And again, if they see that this is a different type of Haji, right, than something they've had in the past, fine. But I think a lot of them will look at each other and say, yeah, he's scoring goals, but this is Haji, right? We know what he is. And more importantly, we know what he isn't. And unless something has dramatically changed, and we know that goal scorers just in general go through droughts and sometimes they're hit and miss and the best goal scorers in the world are the ones that are able to consistently score goals. And that does not, you know, that definition does not apply to a Josh Sargent or a Haji Wright. And so I don't know, I don't know what Haji Wright is doing or will do that is going to make Greg Berhalter and his staff say, wow, this is something that we didn't know he had, or and this is something that we didn't know he could be. So we have to have him right now. We go to Spain, where the big story this season has been Girona. They are level on points with Real Madrid atop the table. Atletico Madrid and Barcelona both seven points back. A couple of big stories involving Real Madrid. Uh, Kylian Mbappe, we know, is out of contract at the end of this season. He's now free to sign with any club he wants. The Madrid media is claiming that Real Madrid are going to go after him, but they're going to give him an ultimatum. They want a decision one way or the other this month. Uh, they don't, don't want this to be a drawn-out saga, so we might know Kylian Mbappe's future by the end of this transfer window. So they want a, a pre-contract? Type yes. Of Oof. I mean, isn't this, isn't this kind of... Isn't this what is supposed to happen, right? Isn't this the final type of move and crowning uh, for for Kylian Mbappe? The fact that he is is stayed so long in PS, at PSG for me is a surprise. I thought this would have happened uh, would have happened earlier, and so I don't I don't blame Real Madrid for saying, "Look, d- don't waste our time." You know, uh, while we love you and want to have you, this is it. But you know, this is the moment, and either you're in or you're out. I mean. I, I want to see it. This is this is the kind of thing that when Kylian Mbappe first burst on the scene, this was the pathway. And yet he has deferred uh, for now a number of years. And so I guess it shouldn't surprise me or anybody if he does it yet again. But I think that that would be disappointing. I, I want to see Kylian Mbappe in a different circumstance, in a different scenario. And... You know, it just, like I said, it seems to have been written that this is what should and and ultimately will happen. The other big story involving Real Madrid is that if Kylian Mbappe joins them next season, we now know he'll be managed by Carlo Ancelotti, who signed a two-year contract extension uh, spurning Brazil. I got lots of mocking tweets about this news. Uh, so, yeah, this uh, definitely did not make me happy. Well, you shouldn't be mocked, Mossy, because for anybody that has listened for any length of time, you will know that you always qualified everything. And as a matter of fact, you pointed out the, you know, the curious nature of this situation where he he seemed to have agreed. And when we say he seemed to have agreed, there was never him saying that he agreed. And yet it was all just kind of, well, this is this is going to happen. And we are in agreement and we're going forward. And yet there was never, from an Ancelotti perspective, never any formal agreement, obviously, from a contractual perspective, let alone any type of public 
uh, statement or agreement. So it shouldn't come as such a, as such a crazy surprise here. I'm assuming now with that that the Brazil part is off unless we are in this new era where people double dip and do both things, right? Yeah, I would assume the Brazil thing is off. Remember, in one of our last podcasts of 2023, I mentioned this situation involving the Brazilian Federation. The president who had been negotiating with Ancelotti for the past year, who was the main proponent of hiring him, was just removed from office by the Brazilian courts. They determined that the way he assumed control was illegitimate. So now the Brazilian Federation is planning to have elections at the end of this month. But FIFA is unhappy because they have this strict policy on governments meddling with countries' federations. So they're threatening to suspend Brazil from future competitions if they go ahead with these elections. Who knows what's going to happen there? But the thing that's unclear about Ancelotti is, was there an agreement in place with that president? And had he stayed on, Ancelotti would have come and him being removed from office is what blew this up? Or was there never an agreement to begin with and he was going to spurn Brazil anyway. We'll never know that. The outgoing Brazilian Federation president was talking as if there was an agreement and Ancelotti was definitely coming, but we don't know. I mean, that might have been just him overselling it. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if he's not coming, but we still don't know exactly what happened here. Oh, my goodness. Well, I feel so horrible for you and your Brazilian team. And, and, with, and with Copa America looming and obviously still in the midst of qualifying for 2026, I really hope you're able to be one of the top, what, seven teams out of the 10 to qualify for 26. And I really hope that next summer when you, uh, when you arrive that you know, all of this drama is put behind you and you have somebody leading that, uh, that incredible Brazilian ship going forward. <laughs> well, we, we mentioned that I'm still here for year seven of the State of the Union podcast. I do have a clause in my contract. If I get offered the Brazil job, I'm allowed to take it. So that's the one thing that could take me away from this podcast. Hey, buddy, I will drive you to LAX, okay, <laughs> if, that, uh, if that happens. All right. Brazil should be so lucky. Now, I, I will say, like uh, and this will segue nicely into the next league we're going to talk about, this Real Madrid decision has some interesting Xabi Alonso implications because he is the hot manager in European football. A lot of people think he's going to leave Leverkusen at the end of the season to go to one of the big boys. And Real Madrid had seemed like a likely destination. But now if they're going to keep Ancelotti, that frees Xabi Alonso to go elsewhere. And the reason he's such a hot manager as we transition through the Bundesliga is because he currently has Leverkusen atop the table. They are four points clear of Bayern Munich. Bayern have played one fewer game. Bayern, we know, have won 11 straight league titles. What do you think? Could this be the end of that streak or you still think Bayern will pull it out at the end? I think Bayern will pull it out in the end. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, right now, so obviously, I mean, every year we do this, and for the most part, every year they find a way ultimately to, to win. And so this is always going to be one of these evergreen questions uh, and dramas that plays. And it's not so much of a drama, let's be honest, because ultimately, like we said, Bayern Munich finds a way back. So I'll be watching that. And then from an American perspective, obviously, a lot of the focus is going to be on what ultimately happens with Gio Reyna. Yeah, so Dortmund languishing in fifth place. They're 15 points back of Leverkusen, six points back out of Leipzig, who are fourth. And that led to speculation that Edin Terzic might be out of a job during this winter break. Remember, we're in the midst of the winter break right now in Germany, so we don't come back uh, for another 10 days or so. And you read reports of a player mutiny led by Marco Royce, but... 
they have decided to keep Edin Terzic, which is bad news for Gio Reyna. So yeah, it does appear like Gio is going to have to be on the move. Uh, we did get an Ask Alexi question about Gio Reyna and potential new destination, so you might want to keep your powder dry for that. But okay. that's obviously the, the big story from an American perspective in the Bundesliga the rest of this season. Yeah, and we've, I mean, we've said that, I mean, that this... The, the writing has been on the wall now for, I mean, let's, let's probably the last year, shall we say, and the pathway that many of these young upstarts take that has been blazed before is not the one uh, from a Dortmund perspective that Gio Reyna has. Although, you know, we're hearing that uh, Jaden Sancho is uh, possibly coming back on loan to, uh, to Dortmund. And that certainly hasn't worked uh, out the way that, uh, that way that Sancho, Sancho has wanted. Although from a Dortmund perspective, it, it, uh, it, it did. So yeah, I'll talk a little bit more about Gio uh, later on right now, but it, it seems to be, and he's also, you know, changed his off field. I think he's changed his, uh, the agency that's repre- representing him right now. So there's a lot of things that are going on behind the scenes right now to, I guess, extricate him from this situation that has run its course. And it happens, it happens to good players and bad players, uh, happens to famous players and not so famous players. And like you said, it could be the coach that you have. It could be the competition that you're facing. It could be off the field, that other 22 and a half hours and the stuff that's uh, that's going on. But I think when it comes to Gio Reyna, it's simply a situation of he hasn't developed in the way they thought he was going to, and he is not the uh, preferred talent when it comes to the current coach that they have. And I don't think that's changing any so- anytime soon. And so this is kind of the perfect exit point for him. Uh, two quickies before we wrap up this segment. In France, PSG on top right now, five points clear of Nice. Monaco are third. We'll see if Folarin Balogun, who had a pretty underwhelming first half of the season, can pick it up the second half. And then in the Netherlands, we'll see if PSV can continue their incredible form. 16 wins out of 16. They're running away with the Eredivisie. Pepe, Tillman, and Vest all contributing to that. Ernie Stewart, the architect. Now, the one thing that all these Americans we just talked about have in common is none of them cracked the Guardian's top 100 players of 2023 list, which is what we're going to talk about in the next segment. Ooh, that's a good tease, my friend. Well, I hope that uh, Flo Balogun is, uh, you know, is is getting ready because he's got to bring it here now with what Josh Sargent and Haji Wright <laughs> coming up behind him, and uh, and Pepe also waiting in the wings here. All right, so that's a good tease, my friend. When we come back, we'll talk about that uh, Guardian clickbait type of article that came out, and we're not uh, we're not above talking about some uh, some clickbait articles when it comes out there. So don't go anywhere. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, we teased it in the previous segment. Uh, we are back here. We want to delve into this Guardian article. And you know, in our business, we love lists. And lists get attention. Lists get clicks. And <laughs> we, are, we are as guilty as anybody of putting out lists. And it's not guilty because they're, they're fun. They, uh, they stoke debate, which is what we love. And, they, uh, and they're interesting. And so the Guardian has come out with their... Uh, 100 best players right now, and it changes from year to year. But we wanted to look at it from a 
U.S. perspective, because uh, not only is the list out, but the dearth of American players on that list has given rise to, um, you know, some opinion out there that U.S. soccer, who a lot of people, despite criticisms, believe is heading in a positive direction, may not either be heading in that direction or may not be moving in that direction as quickly as people make it out to be. Mossy, did I, uh, did I did I preface that correctly? Yeah, the English newspaper, The Guardian, at the end of every year, puts out a list of the 100 best players in the world for that year. They have a panel of experts. Um, and so that list uh, just came out. Um, England had the most players, 13, followed by France with 12. Erlen Holland was number one. Jude Bellingham, two. Kylian Mbappe, three. Messi was 10th. Cristiano Ronaldo, 27th, by the way. Uh, but there were no Americans. And so... This uh, journalist, uh, Graham Ruthven, I think is his name, who writes for The Guardian but covers American soccer, he came out with a follow-up column titled, Whatever Happened to the U.S.'s Golden Generation? And the headline is a bit clickbaity. The, the, the column itself is a bit more measured than that. He does acknowledge that the U.S. has produced lots of good players who are competing in the top leagues in Europe, including some that you could have made a case belonged on this list. But he uses the fact that uh, there's no American on this list as a jumping off point for a larger thesis that I think we can actually agree with, that the U.S. has yet to produce that one true global superstar. And even nations that are probably inferior to the U.S. overall have produced that player. Case in point, number one on this list is a Norwegian. And he goes through all the different countries. that There's a Georgian on here, a Ghanaian, etc. And so... Uh, what say you? Do you think it's problematic that as we sit here in 2024, the U.S. still doesn't have a global superstar or where the U.S. is at in their development as a soccer nation? That's OK. Uh, how do you see all this? So, OK, a couple of things. Number one, if the you know, if the starting point is why hasn't the U.S. produced a Messi? Well, the reality is that only one country in the world has produced a Messi. And I think the the point is that why haven't the U.S. produced a recognized worldwide world class type of star? And again, that's where the argument starts as to you know what what was Christian Pulisic or what was I don't even know Claudio Reyna. And you know you go back in different uh, different points. But in this day and age, where the hype machine is there, but also the attention machine, and therefore the global eyes that are able to be on a player. There is still yet to be that player that has emerged, um, the likes of which you know we see when it comes to the, the Messies and stuff like that. Um, I don't think that that means that the U.S. hasn't progressed. I don't think that that means by any stretch of the imagination that the U.S. can't beat anybody in the world or can't win a men's World Cup. As it pertains to this actual list, though, okay, when you go through this list and you're, you know, you're going through, I don't know, I mean, 62, Onana from Manchester United, the goalkeeper, all right? I mean, are, are, you, are you kidding me? I'm not saying that he's not a good goalkeeper, but if this is the best 100 players in the world right now, according to, uh, according to The Guardian, and I see what a Weston McKinney is doing, and I see what a Christian Pulisic is, is doing over there. And again, there are biases and, and baggage and histories that come with all of these types of articles. And everybody recognizes that. And there are slants and shadings that, you know, uh, you know where, the, where the article is based, what language, you know, what culture it comes from, all of that. kind. Of, I, I get all of that. 
But I do think right now, when it comes to 100 players in the world, that you can make a compelling argument for someone like Christian Pulisic, uh, who in the past has been on this list, but has not been on this list now for five years or so. But what he is doing right now, because this this list is is meant to reflect right now, okay? Which is why when I go through, you know, Marcus Rashford at 67, okay, Marcus Rashford, who is probably at his lowest point of his entire career, but it's all relative to who he is and this star that he once was. I guess he's still a star, but the star that he once was relative to his ability right now is a very different star than he is right now to his ability. So again, I can go through this list and I can make a compelling case for, I, I think right now it, it stems, it comes down to, uh, let's be honest, Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, and probably a Jedi Robinson who we just talked about earlier in terms of where you can put them right now. Jedi Robinson, there's a reason why a lot of people are looking at him uh, as potentially that left back for that next level. It's because consistently right now, he is among, and maybe even people at times will argue, the best left-sided defender when it comes to what he is doing right now in uh, in the EPL. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have fallen uh, victim to this clickbait type of thing. And I love it. I, I love that uh, that discussion right now. Mossy, do you think that any American has any case to be made here for a top 100 position, especially now looking at some of these names? Yes, I do. But I do think his thesis is correct that the U.S. has yet to produce a true global star. Certainly, there's no American player that belongs in the top 15 or 20 here and so the question would be, for the U.S. to go to that proverbial next level and become an elite nation that can win World Cups, do they have to figure out a way to produce that level of player? And is there something they're doing wrong right now that's preventing that from happening? Or is it just sort of the natural evolution of things where you got to crawl before you can walk and just producing lots of good world-class talents that are good enough to play for big clubs in Europe is the next step. And then the next logical step after that will be producing an Mbappe, a Holland, and that's coming and we just have to be patient. I mean, how, how do you see that? Well, well, first off, just because you produce one of those stars doesn't mean that you are not, first off, it doesn't mean you're going to win the World Cup, let alone even qualify for the World Cup. All right. So, I mean, you know, who's, who is, who, uh, you know, who is number one on this list? Erlen Holland, right? So it, again, it doesn't mean that everything is going to be great from a international perspective uh, for uh, for that team. I I would push back in that while that while that one player I think he's right has not emerged yet, and you know it's kind of like um, <laughs> in Star Wars. You know there there is another uh, there. You know this is there is another hope out there. We just haven't found him yet, and we keep trying to anoint players that have come along in the past and they haven't lived up to the likes of an Erlen Holland or a Harry Kane or a Kylian Mbappe or, you know, in this list, I'm fine with this list when it comes to this top, top 10. I do think it's interesting that in this moment, Messi is, uh, is, is 10, even with what he did in MLS. And I think that there is a bias that is, that is exhibited right there because don't tell me for a second that any of these teams uh, that these players play for ahead of Messi right now, and whether it's uh, a Bayern Munich for uh, uh, for Harry Kane, PSG for Kylian Mbappe, Real Madrid for Jude Bellingham, uh, or Man City for Erlen Holland, don't tell me that any of these teams and Mo Salah, by the way, that seven wouldn't take Messi even now with what Messi is right now. 
I agree. That's how good he is. You can tell that they don't know what to do with Messi and Ronaldo right now. So they kind of split the difference. They still have him on there, but lower than they probably should be. I agree with you. Messi at 10th is ridiculous to me. And Ronaldo at 27. Ronaldo scored over 50 goals for club and country this year. He was the leading scorer in the world, and he was still scoring goals for Portugal in Euro qualifying. Now, I've talked about on this podcast that who he's scoring the goals against. You could definitely pick at that, and I don't think he's one of the best players in the world anymore. But 27 feels like this weird split the difference. Either just own the fact that you think Ronaldo is not a relevant player anymore based on the league that he's playing in, or you still put him up there. You know what I mean? It feels kind of random to have him at 27. Let's go to who's who's a hundred. All right, Marcus Turam from Inter. All right, uh, Warren Warren Zaire Emery from PSG is at ninety nine. Ollie Watkins from Aston Villa is at ninety eight. Denzel Dumfries from Inter is at ninety seven. Alfonso Davies coming in at ninety six. I I think Alfonso Davies is much should be much higher than ninety six. By the by the way, anyway, it, it's a fun list to look at and then do that that compare and contrast with uh with american players i but i will say this and and we can move on from uh from this conversation which is which is interesting uh not necessarily what i'm going to say but the (laughs) conversation about who who should or shouldn't be in this list is interesting I, i do think that american soccer is heading in a positive direction even though that player does not exist i do think that the things that are being done are producing better players but i guess more importantly more players. And I do think that at some point in the future, hopefully within my lifetime, there will be that player that everybody around the world recognizes as someone that every team and every country in the world would love to have uh, have on their team. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for an American to actually actually do that. And again, it won't necessarily translate into World Cup success, but I would agree that there has yet to be that that player. But again, relative to re- most of the rest of the world, we've been doing this for a very short period of time. And again, we like to kick ourselves for what we haven't done. And sometimes we have to say, it's all right, we're heading in the right direction. I'd be much more concerned if I thought we were heading in the opposite direction or a wrong direction or not getting there as fast as we wanted. But it's been pretty unprecedented in terms of the growth that has uh, happened when it comes to American soccer. Mossy, anything else before? Yeah, last thing. If you read the article, he does completely dismiss the notion that it has anything to do with the U.S.'s best athletes not playing soccer. Uh, He devotes one sentence to that and says, oh, that's hogwash, and then moves on to talk about other potential reasons why the U.S. hasn't produced that superstar. Uh, But we know that's always a hot-button topic on Twitter, so (laughs) that's probably worthy of more fleshing out than he gave it. Well, again, you know, the best athletes, American athletes playing soccer wouldn't necessarily... I mean, just from a pure number standpoint, I guess you could make the argument that it would that it would potentially produce better players. But again, if you take the best athlete in basketball or baseball or football and have them play soccer, it doesn't always translate. And so who knows? Maybe there will be a different form of athlete if everybody only played soccer in the United States that would arise. But it's not as simple as saying, well, this best athlete from basketball if he or she played soccer, they would be great. And American soccer players would be that much better off going forward because it, you know, it, there's a different type of physicality and there's a different type of athlete 
for all of those individual sports that don't necessarily make great soccer players. Not saying they can't, but they don't necessarily make it. All right, let's take another quick break, uh, and we'll come back here with uh, some Ask Alexi questions. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send in your comments, questions, and concerns. And you can use our uh, State of the Union uh, handle out there on all the social media platforms, which is S-O-T-U with Alexi. Uh, please use that hashtag Ask Alexi if, uh, if you would. Or you can call in to our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. That is 657-549-2297. What do the people want to know this show, Mossy? Uh, first up, Adrian Rockholes on X. I apologize if I mispronounced that. He asks, what's your verdict on the newest Super League developments? What he's alluding to there is UEFA had been threatening to punish clubs that joined the Super League. The European courts ruled that they can't do that, that clubs are free to break away from UEFA if they want and to form their own league. Uh, proponents of the Super League are celebrating this, but the problem is when I say proponents of the Super League, it's really two clubs, Real Madrid and Barcelona, who are the only ones still talking about this. They immediately put out a proposal, 64 clubs, three tiers. But even as they were doing that, all these other big clubs around Europe were putting out statements saying they have no intention of joining the Super League. So Seferin, the uh, UEFA president, joked, he said, good luck forming a new league with two teams. So it's not clear right now if this is still an active thing that's actually going to happen. But nevertheless, uh, that was the news involving the Super League. Oh, it's an active thing. I, 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 whether it happens or not, that's to be determined. But it is an active thing. And I think that they are going to continue. When I say they, it's yes, it is from a public-facing perspective, the, the two clubs. I think there's a lot more support behind the scenes uh, than people let on. But obviously, from a PR perspective, it is a uh, loser. And there's not yet enough support where owners, leagues, teams, uh, are, uh, or I guess confederations, um, are going to support something like this. I do think that it's, that it's interesting that from a legal perspective, this was given context and that the powers that be and the powers 
that these entities have, while they may say there's no chance that you can do this, uh, the courts and the law can be very, very different. Now, just because you are legally allowed to do something doesn't mean that you are going to have the support. I think, Mossy, ultimately, this ends up being a version, a form of this, give it a name, whatever, however you want to brand it or call it, that exists going forward with a kumbaya type of approach where everybody comes in and everybody ultimately makes uh, a lot of money. I think the problem right now is the messengers and to a certain extent, the message um, that is being uh, that is being sent out there. But don't think for a second that you know this is a clearly defined um, war that features good and bad. <laughs> you know, uh, angels over here and devils over here. Uh, there are no saints. There are only sinners when it comes to. And I'm, that's not a pejorative necessarily. These are, you know, this is when it comes to the business of the sport, there is potential out there to do much bigger business off the field and a potential to have much more competition on the field for your customers, which are your fans. How they get to that, that's the big question. But from a legal perspective, right now, uh, nothing is barring them. From a philosophical perspective, and I guess even people would argue from a moral perspective, they are going to fight back, whether it's the fans, whether it is the media, uh, or whether it is ultimately the uh, the owners, which are, like I said, the ultimate deciders when it comes uh, when it comes to this and the teams and the leagues out there. Alexi, big thrill for me. The great Joel Klatt has just walked into the studio, my favorite college football analyst. The one guy that's defended Michigan throughout this whole season. Uh, so very happy to see him over there. Oh my, he's, he is awesome. Well, tell him hello, uh, from Florida. I watch, uh, and listen to everything that he says when it comes to what's going on with, uh, with college football and beyond, because he's also an incredible thinker when it comes to things, even off of the, uh, the football field or the sports arena out there. So he's one of the good guys out there. Uh, and he continues to crank out the content when it comes to the digital stuff. So we will, uh, get out of his way here coming up soon. We got a little bit more, uh, when it comes to this pod and some different stuff to do from a digital perspective, but We'll get we'll get Joel his seat here in a second here. All right. Uh, what else we got here, Mossy, when it comes to our um, Ask Alexi segment? Uh, we've got a voicemail. Let's take a listen right now. Hey, Alexi and Mossy, it's Chase from Dallas. I wanted to ask about something we've been talking about for a while, the Geo Reyna situation. I want the top five teams that y'all think that Geo Reyna can become the best Geo Reyna at. What league does he need to be in? What team does he need to be at? Thank you. All right, how do you solve a problem like Gio Reyna? Well, as we mentioned earlier in the show, this is going to be solved, <laughs> it, it seems like, pretty soon here. And if that is the case, then I I don't see him continuing on in the Bundesliga. I think that he is going to look for greener pastures. I, I, I go back, and we talked a little bit about this earlier in the pod, I go back to what I feel is really healthy and fertile and exciting ground for the American player and the American player specifically that has grown up and kind of come of age and been fostered in this American development system that we have, as we know, Gio Reyna uh, came up in. I think that Italy and Syria in particular give you the best balance and combination of 
a physical and rugged type of style combined with a much more, for lack of a better word, refined way of thinking about the game tactically and ultimately playing the game. And it's almost as if you're getting the best of the um, the ruggedness, and I know I'm being really simple and maybe unfair, the ruggedness of the EPL. For example, I don't think that Giorena should or would would be successful in an EPL type of situation. You know, I do think that someone like La Liga would have would be good for him. But right now, I just think that it's I think that I would love to see Gio Reyna go to uh, Syria. We've been dying to do this Gio potential destination segment. And the one thing that's kept us from doing it is actual rumors involving him because we don't want to make stuff up out of thin air. Uh, Jesse Marsh, for what it's worth, has suggested two potential teams that he thinks would be good for Gio. One is Eintracht Frankfurt taking a step down but staying in the Bundesliga. And the other is Real Sociedad, um, which would be La Liga, to your point. And they're in the knockout stages of the Champions League. They face PSG in the round of 16. So those are two right there. If a couple of other clubs are mentioned, but rumors out there, we might have enough to actually do that long-awaited Gio segment. I know you want five teams for Gio Reyna. So... We've already mentioned a couple of them, and I'd be fine with uh, with those. I, I, no, I wouldn't be fine if he continued on in, in Germany. And I don't know. Maybe he's not soured with the German experience. But I just, it, it's a, in a strange way. I mean, look, given Gio's background and his the way that he plays, I just see him as a much more Latin, um, warm, warmer weather much more Southern cosmopolitan type of player. Now that comes with baggage. You know, you take the good and the bad with any type of player, but that's the type of scenario and circumstance I kind of want to see him in. And he's almost had to, gosh, dare I say, dumb it down for what he has done. And again, maybe that's not fair because it hasn't gone well for him. Uh, with uh, with Dortmund and Dortmund can play some beautiful, beautiful soccer, but I just think that he needs a massive change of scenery, I mean, literally a change of scenery when it comes to what he steps out of his door and goes into a different culture, a different type of thinking of the game that ultimately manifests on the field with how he plays and having it much more merry up with whoever the coach is, whoever the team is, whatever the league is, and whatever the culture is. You know, Sean Sullivan just got in my ear and suggested Mallorca. The one issue with that club is the shaky ownership. I don't trust the owners there. But I also, I don't see him, and it's not, this is not a a, a knock on him. I don't see him fighting for, you know, to, to stay out of relegation. I don't, and I don't want him. I want him to be at a place that has the ball. I want him to be a, at a place that's not, scrapping i want him he's that type of player he is he is an elite um and i know it's a little snobby but you know that's the type of player that he is and i don't want him like i said just mucking it up down uh down in some of these teams i just threw you an alley-oop to dunk on stew and i guess i threw it so high it went over your head well, you know, it's the new year, Mossy, and I'll, I'll talk more in our in our final segment about uh, what I'm thinking about for the for the new year. But who knows? Maybe you're going to see a kinder and gentler, uh, uh, you know, version of me come 2024. Maybe we'll see. All right, that is it.
All right, let's take a quick break. And like I said, I'll come back and I'll give you some things that we're thinking about for 2024 and beyond, especially when it comes to our, uh, our, our friends down there in the great city of Atlanta. Don't go anywhere. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my uh, one for the road. Mossy and I do, uh, give you a couple of uh, resolutions here in a second. But I did want to mention this, uh, this story that we, we mentioned briefly a few weeks ago when I had uh, taken that trip to at, at Atlanta and what Atlanta is potentially going to be going forward for American soccer and in particular for the United States Soccer Federation, obviously with the training center and the offices moving there. But we come to find out that, you know, Arthur Blank, who gave $50 million for this new training center, uh, and obviously is a you know, massive figure in the soccer world with Atlanta United and what is what has happened. He seems to think that uh, that Atlanta going forward needs to be the home ground, if you will, for the, the U.S. national team. And it's getting some legs here. And he said, we talking about Atlanta have earned it and Atlanta has earned it. Well, I don't know. I don't know about that. And you're going to get plenty of pushback from some real legitimate contenders when it comes to where, you know, soccer is uh, or what soccer city is in, in America. There's plenty of cities out there and markets out there that can lay claim to be the best soccer city in in America. Now, Atlanta, with what has happened and obviously what is going forward, they are going to be very palatable to having multiple games. Look, they're going to have it next summer. They're going to have games, obviously, in 2026 going forward. And it would not surprise me in the least if U.S. soccer starts having more and more games in uh, in Atlanta. I think I mentioned before that the opportunity for Atlanta to be kind of a hub, both just as a city and obviously as an airport for a lot of these international players that play on our on our national team coming in, maybe in a two game type of situation, playing their first game in Atlanta and therefore it being that base and then another game someplace else. I could see something like that happening, but I think it would be problematic and I think it would not be something that I would want to see if Atlanta just consistently became the go-to place for the United States national team, be it the men's, women's, or any type of youth uh, team to play games. I think our country is too big. I think our country is, again, too fertile of a country to limit us to one city, to one market. And I do think that the United States Soccer Federation has a responsibility to spread the gospel And one of the ways that you do that is by taking these teams and putting them in market and putting them in some markets that haven't had them before, but spreading the wealth that is the national team, uh, national team program. But money talks and Arthur Blank, uh, you know, he carries a very big stick and a, a lot of soccer has come about in that area. And to be fair in America, because of uh, things that Arthur Blank has done and his money and his resources that he has put into the game. 
We'll see if that ultimately wins out. But I don't think Arthur Blank is going to be unhappy going forward. I don't think the people of Atlanta are going to be unhappy going forward in terms of the attention that they get, the focus that they get, and the opportunities that they get when it comes to uh, American soccer. But I just don't think that America in particular, because of our, the unique aspects of our country, is set up to have one place where the U.S. national team is based in the way that it is other places. Other places are dealing with you know the size of a, of a Georgia. <laughs> we're not. And uh, so I think that that should reflect the things that uh, that we do going forward. Masi, I mentioned uh, resolutions. You got anything that you're thinking about when it comes to 2024? I have one big one. Okay. I've talked about this before, but I'm going to reiterate it, reiterate it here. Um, I'd like to do more domestic travel. The circumstances of my job the last uh, 10 years or so, where we've covered all these World Cups in different countries, have gotten me in this international travel mindset where I equate traveling with going to different countries and seeing other parts of the world. And I've realized lately that I've neglected the United States um, and going to Seattle recently to visit my brother there and having a great time and really enjoying that city. That's motivated me as well. I've come to realize that, that there are lots of places in this country I'm not familiar with that I need to go to. So um, I think the next two or three trips I take. And, you know, it, it, I mentioned the job. The next couple of years, most of the tournaments we'll be covering will be in the United States. So that lends itself to that mentality as well. I think the next few trips I'm going to take, I want them to be in the United States. I want to go to D.C. I want to go to New Orleans. I've never been there. So there, there are places like that that I want to get to know. I love that you say that. And, and it's just so true. I think that there is, you know, maybe no country in the world that is better set up for a road tripping type of experience. And, you know, I've driven across the country many, many times. And if you haven't done it, you should do it. You will get a, such a, such a, such a healthy, and I think ultimately a much more positive um, experience and perspective on this great country. And a lot of times, and I'm not just talking about coastal type of elite type of situations, but regardless of where you, where you in or where you live, that's how you look at yourself. That's how you look at the world. That's how you look at your surroundings. And so getting out into what I just mentioned is a very, very big country. That is something that I think that you are going to, especially you, Masi, I think that you're going to have a wonderful time, not just exploring, but learning about so much of the history. Even though we're a very young country, there's incredible history and such diverse and unique types of histories as you go across the country and up and down and all the different places. And, you know, whether it's the, uh, the, the geography, uh, the weather, the culture, the food, all the different things, um, there's so many different places to go. So I, I look forward to watching you and maybe who knows, maybe we hit the road, Mossy. Maybe we, maybe it's a road trip in 2024 for us and we can, uh, we can go explore this incredible country together. So that's something that I'm definitely on board uh, with doing. The other thing I mentioned earlier, you know, social media and the love hate that, that I and so many others have with, uh, with, you know, with, with this platform, um, you know, I, I eat, and, I, and this is not something new, but, you know, I was talking with my wife the other day and, and she is adamant and feels that social media is um, not just problematic, but debilitating and unhealthy for everybody, including, including her husband. And especially in the way that, that I use it. And I know at times I, I poke the bear and, and I will raise my hand that I enjoy doing that. And I enjoy the interaction. And I know it's not, you know, it's not human interaction, but, um, you know, maybe in 2024, like I said, I may try to cultivate a 
a, a gentler or a kinder um, or I guess a more positive type of character and persona when it comes to the things that I do on social media. And I know sometimes I can give a warped perception of, you know, even in what is already a warped perception that is social media, social media, I can give a warped perception of the way people view me or even the way that I view myself with the things that I respond to, the, you know, the people that I engage with, the things that I repost and do all the different things out there. So I, I might work on that. <laughs> it's a hard habit to break. Uh, but, you know, who knows? Maybe that will make me uh, happier and healthier going forward. And ultimately, the most important people in my life uh, when it comes to uh, to my family, if they feel that it's going to give them a better version of their husband and or their, uh, their father, then uh, there's got to be some value and some power to that that I have to uh, that I have to acknowledge. Uh, having said that, you know, if you're if you're a moron, if you're told, uh, I'm I'm still probably going to light you up <laughs> uh, on the uh, platform out there. Mossy, anything before we go? May I suggest one tweak uh, with your sure. resolution? Instead sure. of what are we yelling about today? How about what are we talking about today? There you go. See, and then just sometimes it's just a softening, maybe. But that's 2024. Maybe I'll look at a softening. All right. Not like a completely, uh, you know, soft, gelatinous uh, type of cheesy inside that you will get a glimpse of. But, you know, maybe a, a softening. And in, and in doing so, maybe like a little bit more happiness and joy and light and love and all the different things that we talk about. That's a good, that's a good suggestion. All right, listen, uh, we will talk to you again, uh, next pod. We thank you so much for joining us. As I mentioned, we are off to our seventh year here when it comes to the state of the union. Thank you for, uh, to everybody that, uh, either listens or watches on all the different platforms. Cause now we're video out there. I'll be back in Los Angeles uh, next week uh, and in the uh, in the studio. Thank you for reviewing. Thank you for rating. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you to all the people that have been with us since way back in 2018 when we started this little project. And thank you to all the people that have come on board since then. There's plenty of room, like I said. Come on in. The water is warm and fine here at the State of the Union. We will talk to you again next time for David Mossy. Uh, and all of the people, the wonderful men and women that make us look good, that work behind the scenes to make us look good. Thank you so much. And until then, my friends, and as always, size the day.